Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is Day 17. Today we'll be reading Book 5, Chapters 8-9 through 9 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and it helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Well, before we get into the reading, let's take a quick look at what we're covering today. So we just have a couple chapters, so it's not too deep or too long, but significant nonetheless. So uh, here, St. Augustine finds himself, as we talked about yesterday, disillusioned, unsatisfied with life in Carthage, with the Manichaeans, with Faustus's inability to answer his question. So St. Augustine decides to move to Rome. Um, a couple of things happen in Rome. He becomes quite ill, but recovers from that. So if you remember back when we started, he also had an illness when he was a child that prompted the question of, of his baptism, ultimately he wasn't baptized. Um, I think there's a similar parallel here, but less of a discussion of baptism, but just you know, becomes quite ill. Um, St. Augustine also recounts his mother's sadness at his his moving, so we'll talk about that briefly too. But that kind of will cover today. So before we get into the reading itself, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 8 You thus moved me to be persuaded to go to Rome, so that I might there teach what I was teaching in Carthage. And I will not neglect to confess to you how it was that I was so persuaded to go there. For here, too, the deepest recesses of your wisdom and ever-present mercy toward us must be considered and confessed. I did not wish to go to Rome in hope of greater gain or higher dignities, goaded on by my friends who insisted on this to me, though even these did have an influence on my mind at that time. However, my primary and nearly solitary reason was that I heard that the young men studying there were better behaved and kept quiet under the restraint of more regular discipline, not petulantly rushing at a mere whim into the tutelage of someone who was not even their teacher without even asking his permission to do so. By contrast, in Carthage, the students were filled with foul and unruly license. They burst into the classroom audaciously, acting with nearly frantic energy and thus disturbing all the order that the teacher had established for the good of those learning under his instruction. Committing all sorts of outrages with an amazing lack of care, they did things that would be punished by law if it were not for the fact that custom allowed it. And that custom showed them to be all the more miserable by doing deeds as though they were in accord with the law when, in fact, in accord with your 
eternal law, they never should be legal. And all the while they thought they did it without punishment, while in fact they were being punished by the very blindness that led them to do it, as they themselves were suffering incomparably worse things than what they did to others. Thus, the manners that I myself did not want to be my own when I was a student, I found myself as a teacher forced to endure it in others. Therefore, I was quite ready to go someplace where, according to what I had heard from everyone, these sorts of things were not to be found. However, you, my refuge and portion in the land of the living, goaded me to wrest myself from Carthage so that I might change my earthly dwelling for the sake of my soul's salvation. And in Rome, you extended allurements to draw me there, presented by men who are in love with their dying life, the one by senseless deeds and the other through empty promises. Thus, to set my feet straight, you secretly used both their perversity and mine as well. For they who disturbed my quiet were blinded by their disgraceful frenzy, and they who invited me elsewhere savored of the earth. And I, who here in Carthage detested true misery, was seeking there in Rome false happiness. But when I left to go there, you, O God, knew why, but you did not reveal it to me, nor to my mother, who wept profusely about my journey, following me as far as the sea. However, I deceived her, even though she held on to me by force, hoping either to prevent me from going or to enable herself to come with me. I claimed that I had a friend whom I would not leave until the winds were good for him to sail abroad. Thus, I lied to my mother, to such a mother, and escaped from her. And for this, too, have you mercifully forgiven me, preserving me so full of appalling defilements from the waters of the sea, so that I might be bathed in the waters of your grace. And when I was at last cleansed by them, the streams daily flowing from my mother's eyes, watering the ground beneath her face in prayer, should at last be dried. Nonetheless, she refused to return without me, and I barely managed to convince her to stay that night somewhere near to where our ship was docked, at an oratory established in memory of blessed Cyprian of Carthage. That night I departed secretly while she remained behind, weeping and praying. And what, O Lord, was she asking of you through so many tears, if not that you would not allow me to sail? But you in the depths of your own counsels, though hearing the main intention of her desires, did not heed what she asked for right then, so that you might fashion me in accord with what she has been continually praying for. The wind blew and filled our sails, and the shore drew back from our sight. Then the next morning she stood there frantic with sorrow, filling your ears with her lamentations and groans, while you then disregarded them. But at the same time, through my desires, you pressed me onward to end all such desire, and whatever was earthbound in her affection for me was thus chastened by an allotted scourge of sorrows. For she loved my physical presence at her side, as mothers do, though much more than many, and she did not know how great a joy you were soon to work on her behalf through my absence from her. No, she did not know this, and thus she did weep and wail. And through this agony she bore witness to the inheritance of Eve, seeking in sorrow what she had brought to birth in sorrow. And yet, after decrying my treachery and hard-heartedness, she once again resumed her prayer to you on my behalf, returning to her home while I went to Rome. Chapter 9 Behold, however, there I was welcomed by a scourge of bodily illness, and down was I going toward hell, carrying with myself all the sins that I had committed against you, myself, and others, many and grievous sins, over and above that original sin by which we all die in Adam. For you had not forgiven me of any of these in Christ, nor had he abolished by his cross the enmity with you that I had incurred through my sin. 
For how could he do so by the crucifixion of a mere phantom, such as I believed him to be at the time? So truly dead was I then in soul, and I thought that his flesh seemed false to me. And as true as was his bodily death, so false was my own unbelieving soul's life. And now, as the fever increased, I was departing forever. For had I then departed, where would I have gone but into fire and torment, such as my sins deserved in accord with your true judgment? But although she did not know this, she nonetheless prayed for me in my absence. And you, everywhere present, heard her where she was. And where I was, you had compassion upon me, so that I recovered my bodily health, even though I remained sick in my sacrilegious heart." For throughout all that danger I did not desire your baptism. How better was I as a boy begging for it from my mother's piety, as I recounted and confessed earlier. But I had grown up in my own shame, and madly did I scoff at the true medicine offered by you, who would not allow me to die a double death in such a state of soul. My mother's soul would never have healed had it been pierced by such a wound, for I cannot put into words the affection that she felt for me, and how greater now was her anguish as she was in labor with me in spirit than was her anguish in my birth in the flesh. Thus I cannot see how she would have been healed if my own death had then stricken the depths of the bowels of her love. And where would have been her powerful and ceaseless prayers to you alone? But could you, God of mercies, despise the contrite and humble heart of that chaste and sober widow who so frequently gave alms, so dutiful in her service to your saints, never letting a day pass without setting an offering at your altar, twice a day, morning and evening, coming to your church without fail, not for idle chatter and old wives' tales, but rather so that she might hear you in your words and you hear her in her prayers? Could you, by whose gifts she did all this, despise and refuse to aid such a woman's tears with which she begged you not for gold or silver, nor for any mutable and passing good, but for the salvation of her son's soul? Never, Lord. Indeed, there you were at hand, hearing and doing all this in the order that you had foreordained. Far be it from you to deceive her in your visions and answers, some of which I have mentioned, though not all of them, which she kept in her faithful heart, all the while praying and beseeching you about them, as though they were promises written in your own hand. For through your own promises, you and your great mercy, which endures forever, deign to become a debtor to those whose debts you yourself forgive. Okay, from Carthage to Rome. That's kind of it. He goes. He packs up. He's done with Carthage. He moved there for studies. He ended up teaching. He joined the Manichees, but he's done. So St. Augustine moves to Rome. Um, he, he says in part because he, he's kind of fed up with the students in Rome and the life of a, of a teacher and, and that sort of thing. And he's, he's kind of told that the, the students in Rome are better than those in Carthage. So uses that as a reason too, but um, he goes. I think we, we, we could talk about this, we'll get Father Gregory's thought and input, but reveals yet again this theme of restlessness, of of searching, of wandering, of it's just, it's brought to the fore again of, of Augustine's search, his journey. So from Carthage to Rome for, I think the two big reasons, dissatisfaction with teaching, dissatisfaction with the Manichees and Faustus, but that's it, it prompts it. I don't know, thoughts, reflections, Father Gregory. Yeah, so a couple thoughts here at the outset. First, human life, obviously, is it can be a bit complicated, and we're going to have to make decisions which require you know, some discernment or some reflection. And here, St. Augustine makes a decision, and it ends up being a bad decision. I think we can say that it ends up being a bad decision, because if you go to a place for a hot second and then move on to another place, it's pretty clear that that place wasn't the place for you. Uh, and yet, is he defeated by that? No. 
And I think this also brings before our eyes another element of God's providence, namely that when we talk of tragedy or tragic loss, there's really only one tragedy, and that tragedy is not to become a saint. Short of that, everything is basically redeemable. Now, you might make decisions in your life which are irreversible. You know, it's like somebody could have a struggle with a particular habitual sin, which makes it impossible for that person to pursue a particular, you know, state of life or or vocational path. That's true. But at the end of the day, for all of us, there's this one vocation of the vision of God in heaven, and God continues to offer us opportunities to grow in that vocation or to embrace that vocation along the way. So even though St. Augustine has made this choice, is like, Rome's the place for me, and then five seconds later, he's like, Rome is not the place for me. That shows him to be vacillating or indecisive, whatever. It's just those things aren't important because God continues to make an offer of himself regardless of which city we live in. So yeah, I'd say that's just a, a first thing. Yeah. I don't want to pass over this this Rome episode too quickly, you know what I mean, the episode in his life, but it seems that he does, you know, very quickly. There's he doesn't really report anything except that he moved to Rome, dissatisfied with the students there, was sick at the outset, recovered and found a different teaching position. So that that's just to to what reiterate what you said that yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a mistake. It was a, uh, he's searching, he's on the way, he's on the path. Not a mistake in the sense that like, it shouldn't have been part of his journey, but it just didn't really work out and, and that sort of thing. You know, he moved quickly, he was frustrated, he moved again quickly. So I'm, I, I think too, maybe the last thing to say is that we've kind of, I'm sure, I know I have, I'm sure you have, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have experienced similar things in our lives, whether it was a move or a job change or and, you know, whatever it might be, even think smaller things of, you know, making a hasty change and then realizing it's like, that didn't work. And either you go back to what was or find something else and it is what it is. <laughs> Fine. But in in this, one of the other things that, that or one of the other components or parts is uh, St. Monica's role here. So St. Monica, uh, she, she sort of begged him not to go or to take her with and he St. Augustine was like, nope. And he snuck away in the middle of the night. So I think my sort of reaction to this is like, shame on you, St. Augustine. How could you do this to your mother? Because he reflects on it with regret. And Father Gregory, if you if you tune into the bonus episode on this, was a little more like, well, St. Monica's kind of seems like a lot to deal with. She's, she's there a lot and kind of like a helicopter parent, perhaps. So St. Augustine being 28 at this point, he moved, you know, kind of thing. But I don't know. It's not an insignificant occurrence because even though this this Roman venture is short and short in St. Augustine's recounting of it, he still makes mention of his mother and his his treatment of her and her reaction to that. So it's worth just pointing that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's more to say in it, but yeah, it, either St. Augustine was kind of a jerk in what he did to his mom or was like, he just moved because he's an adult. But I don't know, sneaking away in the night, so I have two small thoughts. The first is I appreciate his candor. So he includes things in his autobiography, which other people might have taken out, but it's so clear that he's he's really committed to the discourse and he's really committed to recounting what in fact happened rather than whitewashing it. And I think that, you know, there's a kind of hagiography, and that's a big word that just means like the telling of a life of a saint, which is embarrassed by any imperfection or fault or past life or sin or vice or whatever. But in St. Augustine's case, it's just it's just not so. Um, he doesn't, again, tell all of his past sins and vices in, you know, gory detail. Uh, but he does give you an indication of the weakness or the vacillating nature of his character. And also here, I just love the fact that, yeah, he he is acknowledging 
whether you know statedly or tacitly, that he's weak. Because we've all been in a situation where you're like, ah, I think you know this relationship is a little bit wonky. Maybe there's like an inordinate attachment or maybe there's just something that I don't feel perfectly at liberty to say to the other party. And if I try to tell the person directly, it's not going to come off well or I'm just going to be afraid or I'm going to be embarrassed or whatever it is. I'm just going to I'm going to back away from the thing that I actually want to communicate or that I actually want to do. So if I do it, I'm going to have to like send a text message or send an email or send a written letter or I'm just going to have to sneak off in the middle of the night and move to Rome. (laughs) So like, do we like that about ourselves? No, we don't. But we also know like a boundary needs to be reestablished or a new page needs to be turned whatever it is. And we're hoping that we grow into the type of people who can be more direct, who can be more assertive, who can be more straightforward in our interactions with others. But it's just hard. You know, it's just hard. And I love that St. Augustine is willing to acknowledge that it's hard and that he is weak. I think that that commends him as an honest hagiographer. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we'll leave it there because that's kind of where St. Augustine leaves it. So he's in Rome, but uh, he's not in Rome for very long. So we'll pick up with what he does after Rome and our next episode when we hit the last chapters of book five, which are which are significant. So get excited, get pumped, stay tuned, come back. We're looking forward to talking about them with you. So in the meantime, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. <laughs>